Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast, where we learn to build heroes in our homes to help our kids be prepared for their life journeys. Hi, I'm your host, Molly Christensen, and I love to encourage and mentor you on your path. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Building Heroes Podcast. And today I am super excited to have Candace Duggar back with me today. She was one of our launch guests. And today we get to go a little deeper with her story and learn a little bit more about her journey and some of the tools that she's used along the way to make it a little easier because that's why we have tools, right? So Candace was formerly in the corporate world where she was working, running all these businesses and then she traded in her high heels for Uggs. And when she suffered a serious illness, which she says was three years and serious, right? That's why it's a serious illness. Yeah. <laughs> she was down bedridden for three years. Yeah. Yes. Bedridden. And, but that was during the time that she could take a little time to be quiet and start to reflect and see the state of her family. So Candice, in our last conversation, we talked a lot about how during this time, you noticed that your son was really struggling and you got this idea that you should homeschool him, which you thought was the most horrible idea ever. I can relate to that. <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, maybe it's the medication talking. Something's got to be wrong here. <laughs> yeah. I really did not like the idea when I got that one either, but I do feel like that it is often a call to action like that for so many of us that decide to go homeschool because why would we do this unless we felt that in our hearts? Because logically, a lot of it does not make sense to do it until you actually do it, and then it does. So if you want to continue on and just start telling us a little bit more about this journey, because it didn't just stop with your first son either, did it? Not. It did not, Molly. And I... I look back now and I'm like, wow, I was really slow on this piece. I think I was so focused, so laser focused on making sure that I had the needs met of my older son who was, you know, as I shared in our last story, my son was um, really struggling when he started middle school. I had a kid who was happy and joyful and just the zest for life who became angry and hurting and locking himself away and seeing behaviors that were really concerning him. And then when we almost lost him to suicide, we said, that's enough. We're not doing this anymore. And the horrific bullying that he entailed that started just a down spiral of his mental health, his, his connection to his self, his self-value and worth, everything about him, it was a really hard time. And so our family went from crisis mode of mom really sick to crisis mode of son. And we're very focused on here. And yet I had a younger son who is on the spectrum, very high functioning on the spectrum. He's the kind of child you'd hang out with. And you'd be like, oh, he's not on the spectrum. And five minutes later, you'd be like, oh, I get it. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. Um, he was in third grade at the time and really hurting. He was struggling with bullying. I knew he was. But guys, I was like, he's in third grade, like eight, nine. This is manageable. We'll work with the school. We notify the school. We're talking to him. We're constantly helping him, which at the time I was trying to help him understand conflict resolution, which now I understand is never appropriate with bullying. And I was trying so hard to help him any way I could. And 
the school system was, we'll take care of it, we'll handle it, we've got it under control, yet he was still having his book stolen, he was be having his face thrown in the urinal, he was being punched, he was being hit with sticks. And we live in one of the top rated counties in the country. Like, <laughs> there are no words. And it was the day that I found that little baby. Oh my goodness, I still think back, Molly. He was nine years old and he was under his bed dressed for school and he was screaming, I would rather die than go there another day. And I said, that's it. that's it. I will not do this another day. And I walked him <laughs> and sent him to school. And I remember the whole day. I mean, we had been going, guys, to doctor's appointments for months, stomach aches and night terrors. And I mean, the whole thing, the whole gamut of there's nothing wrong, um, digestive issues. I just CT scans and testing. And this child was broken and hurting. And angry. Oh my gosh, he was so angry. He felt betrayed by the world. He had asked for help from his principals. He'd asked for help from his teachers. He's told not to be a tattletale. He was standing up for himself and trying to self-advocate with the tools we taught him. And no one protected him. No one. And he clung to me, even in his family. He didn't really trust his brother or his dad. I was a safe person when I agreed to homeschool him and bring him out. And yet I knew with this child that if I homeschooled him and took the path that I did with my oldest son, we weren't gonna do well. I mean, he would have isolated and been a hermit and been perfectly fine in this house, not talking to another human being ever. That would have been just fine. But for those of you in the homeschool community, many of us parents who bring our children home from public or private school who have had these experiences, they're in trauma, they're in deep-seated pain. And they're not ready to integrate into a homeschool community that might be thriving and healthy and well-adjusted kids. I truly just found the most amazing woman who is, runs a homeschool group here in my area. And she embraced my son and allowed him to come and show up and be in pain and really not in a good place. He was uh, hiding under chairs, Molly right? He was kicking. He was, don't talk to me, knocking his hand away. All of these things, just go away, go away, go away. He would run away if he could. He would hide. He was difficult, really difficult. But she hung with him and gave him compassion and love and a place to just let him process and be around other kids and protected him and was really his only other safe person outside of here. And I can't tell you how few people would be willing to really step up and take that, take that kind of hit, right? Like that, it's hard when you're managing a whole co-op of schools and rooms and, and being willing to step in with this one child who's hurting. And this was a process. It took me two years. He is now 12. So I brought him home and I took me two years to get this kid to a place that he really trusted people. I mean, this was hard. Um, we ended up getting him a service dog, right? My husband and I have been training dogs for over 20 years and we trained medical alert and all types of dogs and we ended up getting him an autism support dog. And that gave him the courage to try other co-ops and try other groups. Um, but now this young boy who's 12 years old, my goodness, I, I, I look forward from the work that was done with him, the pain he went through to where he is now. He's now a published author. He talks and does groups for all over the country just on healing and pain and helping other people see what bullying looks like to people with disabilities, to leaders, 
um, he's working on a second sequel of a book about really what it's like during the pandemic for people with disabilities. And he's come to a place of healing. And it's been such a different journey than my older son who has come to a place of healing. They've taken a lot different turns, but they've both come out of this equipped and ready to now help heal others. And that has been as a mom, the biggest just treasure that I can, can share. I love that story. And I love that so much because sometimes as parents, and I mean, I even know I did this with my first son, don't recognize that when our kids have anxiety, and sometimes we just think that they're being, I don't know, contrary, just to bug us or something. We don't really respect their feelings or understand really what's going on. Because like when my oldest son, um, was about kindergarten. He had a lot of social anxiety and I did send him to kindergarten that first year, even though I had that thought that I should homeschool. I said, no, um, I, I sent him to kindergarten and I literally could not get him through the door of that room for the first 45 minutes of the day, even though he had visited and everything. And I finally just forced him in. And in retrospect, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish, and, and I, that wasn't an isolated incident either. I kept making him do things that were not the best for him. And he did end up getting bullied in school. And I didn't understand that. I, I didn't know what was going on. And he just kind of kept it all to himself a lot of the times. And um, as I grew up as a mother, <laughs> I did learn some more things, which is a good thing because... <laughs> We, we can allow ourselves a little grace too. And I think you mentioned this in, in the, our other podcast. As a parent, we don't actually have to be perfect. We wish we were, but we, we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves because really I just didn't know at the time. But I can say the good news is uh, I have seven kids and my number six kid was a lot like that first kid, but because I had more experience and I had grown a lot and I had more personal leadership and development going on, I could realize more that this kid had a lot of social anxiety as well. And I didn't have to force him. I could just let him be him and I could allow him to grow on his journey and I could help find other people that would allow this as well. Like you did in your story too, you know, and sometimes not everybody's going to do that, but sometimes we can find those people that will be there to help and be a yeah. support as well. And it was so hard for me as a mom asking for that help. I was lost. I was so lost. He was, I mean, there are no, there are no words. I, I was, this is a child who even until he was 11, until we got his service dog, I did not sleep through the night till he was 11. He woke me up every two to three hours, either in nightmares, night terrors, night fears, something going on with this child, leg pain, something, I mean, from infancy, it was 11 years. So you can imagine being on bed rest and trying to heal your own self while taking care of a, a child who's really struggling with a lot. And then my other son dealing with this stuff, it was just, I look back and I just never had compassion for myself or really grace to give myself the space, just the kindness that I was showing other people in my life. And um, now when I'm working with families, you know, a lot of our work we do at Bully Broken Redeemed is equipping parents and leaders and youth on all these areas of bullying, whether it's cyberbullying or gaming bullying or even dealing with mental health or social media addiction, whatever we're helping them work through, helping, I, 
the amount of parents I talk to that start to really realize how much pain they've brought from their own childhood to this moment, or they've chosen to homeschool because of their bullying as a child that they never dealt with, or their fears or anxieties, or the choices they make for the circles they're in, when they start to look at the decisions they're making, it uncovers all of this uh, pain, right? And then helping them walk through that pain to a place of healing. It's been, it's been quite a, a beautiful thing for me that I'm trying to remember to keep telling myself to show myself the grace I would anybody we're working with, because sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves. I mean, we can be so critical of our decisions. Oh, absolutely. I actually think that's one of the biggest plagues we have amongst mothers and homeschooling mothers. It's magnified. In your family, when you bring kids home to homeschool, everything gets magnified. And, you know, the the self-talk, the negative self-talk, the beating up of self gets Mm -hmm. hugely magnified when you homeschool. And quite frankly, how many other people take their kids to the doctors and the doctor's wanting to quiz them or your in-laws are wanting to quiz them or everybody's asking them. And you're like, for real? Do you do that to everybody else? Stop the judgment. The judgment feels very heavy at times because your judgment is constantly questioned and um, it's hard. And, and it is also because like what you mentioned in the earlier podcast, there is this matrix of expectations that weigh heavily on us. I always say, you know, we have all these shoulds. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I'm like, you know, should, wait, that shoulds weigh on our shoulders here. These shoulders, right? Right, right. (laughs) It it does feel heavy. It does feel heavy. And then we allow all this negative self-talk to come in because we feel like we're failing because we're not measuring up to the expectations. And then we bring that into our whole family um, well, culture, and, and that does that. That's no fun or good. One of my biggest aha moments. I remember I was sitting in my office, and I'm a planner. Like if you guys looked around my office, I'm in a vision border, and I'm a planner, and I have goals, and everybody's got goals. And by January first, you better give me your goals, and I want the year going. Like I am, got it right. Like I'm that mom. And it was the moment that I stopped and I went. My most productive years were never in school. <laughs> I got through school. I did great. I got a couple degrees. It was fine. But when I really look at how far I've come as a person and for compassion and growing and stretching myself and really being able to take all of these things, none of that was done in the constraints of a classroom. And so why am I expecting that of my kids? My goodness. I mean, my growth happened in the real world to give them that. And it was that moment when my Youngest, he started working on his first book when he was 11. He launched it uh, last March, actually. But he, he dropped it in March. And when he wrote that, I was like, wow, we took a child who could had pain and we used one project writing a book to learn language arts and gram- grammar and all of these wonderful things. But he learned photography. He learned marketing. He learned public speaking. He learned all about Amazon and publishing. He's learned so many things. He's learned to sit with editors and producers. He's learned how to take feedback and make choices and be able to still have boundaries to say, I appreciate your opinion, but that's not my vision for this project. And to learn that at 11, right? To take feedback and then not fall in line like, okay, I'll go correct that for you. But to really be able to critically think in that moment and go, 
I hear what you're saying and I appreciate that, but that's not my vision. And this is why I'm making that choice. And to stand firm in that and go with it. I'm like, how I wish somebody would have taught me how to do that earlier in my life because I felt like so much criticism or feedback was always now change it. And sometimes that's not what that is. It's just self-reflection to go, no, I'm good. This is what I'm doing. And this is why I feel strongly about it next. And to be able to teach that so young, it's just phenomenal. It, absolutely. And I think probably one of the most important things I'm guessing he learned is self-confidence. Yes. He, so he has um, done shows even with HSLDA. He's done live shows with them internationally and they're educational consultants. He's spoken on summits around the world. He has spoken to Girl Scout groups and all kinds of business leadership groups. And his goal this year is a TED Talk. 12 year old little autistic his goal is a dead dog I just love it I can't even he's been approached about during he's like that's what I'm doing and I'm like you go get it baby <laughs> you know, I don't know how we're gonna get there but you go get it <laughs> he just loves it he actually came into my office I actually will crack up you can appreciate this this, this is my planet right he came in my office yesterday because I was very busy working and he goes excuse me I just need a five minute meeting and I'm like okay <laughs> guess he knows how mom works right so we open the calendar and he goes I need to finish launching my second book and I have a deadline. I'm going to need you to put on the schedule. We need two solid days of a writing intensive, just you and me and the rest of the family gone. And there's no podcasting for you. There's no talking. There are no shows. I'm going to need two committed days. When are you available? And I'm like, this kid is brilliant. (laughs) He's like, we're going to need two committed days. So he's opened the calendar. It's in two weeks. We have a, a second home that's been in our family for a long time and him and I will go there, no TVs, no what, nothing. And we will finish two days getting his project done and the last of his photography and getting it sent off because it's, he's like this project, your other stuff is taking too much and you just can't multitask like this. I need this. Let's get it done. And I was like, look at you. All right. <laughs> love it. What we're doing. <laughs> love it. Well, so you know, I love how you do this because you say growth happens in the real world. And that's really what the, you know, using the pattern of the hero's journey is all about. When you use that in your family and your homeschool, it's allowing them to go on the journey and have those struggles and to move towards their goals and the things that they want. But what do you say to moms who are listening who say, huh, my 12 year old would never write a book. Or my 12 year old has no passions or my, my kids well, are not excited about anything, you know? So first, mamas, I hear you. I hear you. Let me uh, correlate back to that first child that I brought home. And both of them were the same way. Remember, this took two years to get this kid here. I mean, this was not an overnight succession. This was not, um, I brought him home and the next day he's like, let's be a published author and the world is beautiful and I can't wait to share my story. No, there were days of me holding him on the couch watching Netflix documentaries because that is all he could give me. That's it. And my oldest, when I brought him home and I told you he could not hardly get through just writing or any place, it took us. And the the one thing that I, I just encourage parents to do, especially if you're bringing your kids home in a different environment or they're sitting in a place of a lot of pain, how much of the day are they focusing on what they do really well? And how much of the day are they being forced to focus on what they're not doing well? And so for what I mean by that is when my son was in public school, he spent more than 80% of his day with them focusing on his IEPs and what he didn't do well, instead of focusing and honoring how he was created, 
And so when he came home, I spent a hundred percent of my day on what he did well. And unfortunately, some of that was video gaming, right? But other pieces were wilderness survival. He could do that really well. I knew he had a passion for history. And so we dove really deep into history. I did not care about him writing assignments. I don't need a report. I just want you to learn real critical thinking and talk to me and be educated. As an adult, nobody sits a test in front of me at the end of the day to ask me what I know or write a report. I mean, like, it's just ridiculous. Like, I don't read a paper and at the end of it, it's like, and now here's your assessment quiz to tell me how it worked out. I wanted him to be able to have real conversations with me as an adult and to challenge him and question him. And when I started bringing back confidence, I find so many of our kids are lacking enthusiasm and hope and joy because they've lost confidence and drive. I mean, if I woke up every day as an adult and I walked into my office and every moment I spent doing what I hated, probably wouldn't be very motivated. I mean, I just can't imagine. If I were just struggle busing to get through the next thing and everything I did was marked up in red pen or broken down to more why I sucked. <laughs> really want to do it. And so for my, my oldest, um, when I brought him home and for you parents out there who are like, well, never write. He was an athlete. He's always been an athlete in football, loved football. And so to teach him how to write, we did unit studies in football. His job was to watch ESPN and different commentaries and read sports magazines and tell me all of these different writers and how their perspectives were different and how they could watch the same game. Just starting to get him thinking, right? Not just being a consumer, but being able to produce and think and critically think about things. And then I started to stretch him a little bit more. And then I would have him record being, get, watching a, a football game that he was passionate about. And then he is the one to give me the clips and the statistics and the stats. And through that, he was learning math and he was learning critical skills and he was learning to public speak and to art of persuasion, all of these things that he didn't even know he was doing in the time but we did that. And then he started to love things like I knew he had a passion for Australia. And so we spent a whole month just on Australia and we learned about currency and diplomacy and the environment and the animals. And I mean, you name it, their food, everything. And at the end of the day, he ends up being an expert on something he loves and was passionate about researching it and YouTube videos and meeting different people and all types of things in connection because it was something he loves. But through that, he learned currency and money and diplomacy and never even felt he was learning, right? He just took this passion for learning. So for parents out there, like my kids would never write, find one thing your kid loves. Is it gaming? Could be. Is it anime? Could be. Is it comic books? Could be. What is their passion? Are they now, um, I don't know if you can hear in the background any dinging, he has taken up, um, <laughs> he has gotten to be passionate about forge and fire and we put him in blacksmithing classes. And so now there's a forge in my garage and he's learning to make knives and swords and blacksmithing. <laughs> so while I'm up here on here, I'm like, I don't know if you can hear it in the background dinging, but he became passionate about that because, but through that, he learned metal and chemistry and physics and weight compounds and what can move. There's so many things you can learn that are outside of the books. And so that little guy who could hardly write a sentence when he came home at 12, started college at 16. And as a mama, for those out there wondering how could this work if I didn't keep them on a program, 
last week, a week ago today, he got accepted to his very first college with a six-figure academic presidential award scholarship, the first college of his choice, and we're going Friday to go look at it. And I could not be um, more proud of him from where he came from losing hope for his future. But through that, also proud of a family that we had the courage to step outside of that matrix and do it different. And he was accepted because he does, I mean, yeah, his grades are good, but that's not why he got those awards and scholarships. He speaks and he trains and he publishes and he works in mental health and he's a leader and they're looking for leaders. So raise our kids to be leaders. Absolutely. And I love all the descriptions you just gave of how you helped your kids focus on what they love to do. Because I think a lot of times when we look at our kids, we think, okay, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to, you know, do this. We, we tend to copy the public school systems or methods because that's what we know. But what we don't look at is say, is this actually really the most effective method in teaching kids? Right? <laughs> like game schooling. How many people out there even hear of the process of game schooling and that you can use so many games that there are actually academies out there that all they do is games. And you can teach your kids so much, especially when they're, I don't know, under high school, even in high school, but you don't have to do it the way it was. No. You can well, learn anything from any subject. Absolutely. And the crazy thing is, um, probably we've noticed this a bit that government run things are not on the cutting edge of technology usually. <laughs> okay. So now you'll get me on my, yeah, I would agree. Yes. I mean, I went in to go sign up my daughter for a few classes and they were doing everything on paper. And I was like, really? I have to, this, this was this year. I have yeah. to fill in, you're filing all these papers. We have, you know, technology for that. That makes it way easier. And I had to go in, in person during COVID because they didn't have an electronic way to do it. But I was just saying like, man, neuroscience in the past 20 years has showed us some amazing things about how our brains learn. It's just proven it. Oh, right. and, and healing. And for yes, healing and brain yes. development. And, but, and so a lot of our work just came about because as you talk about government or education or systems, when we were struggling, Molly, and our kids were really hurting and the, always the information, I don't care what you go to, it's always go to the authority, go to the principal, go to the teachers, go to the, that can put your child's life in danger so many times and you don't know. The retaliation, bullying, what can yeah. happen to them, the revenge. Also, your child could be beaten in a hallway and you're not going to even see video from it because they're dealing with minors and protecting their own assets. I cannot tell you what can happen in those. And as parents, you're out there looking for resources, yet all the resources are not to equip you and empower you with your parental rights. And so my mission is to, yeah. how can I help parents understand this last 10 years of what's happening? Bullying has been around forever. But it is not like it's been since 2011. We didn't grow up with the fact that our bullies were in our bedrooms and the majority of it happened after 10 o'clock. You got a break in your mind. If something happened to you, families could pack up and go to another area. Doesn't happen anymore. You got a fresh start. The choices kids are making today can ruin their futures. And it's horrible. It's really horrible. And parents have a hard time understanding it. And so if we can kind of, as I, I was the families I work with, I'm like, okay, your kids are sort of like, all right, boomer, what do you even know about this? How do we help create this conversation between the two generations 
to one, educate the parents and yet empower our next leaders coming up to make a difference in this world. Because without that education and training and healing, they can't be effective leaders. And not all in the world of bullying, you know, you're going to have, let's say 20% that are going to be the bullies and 20% who are the kids of the victims. But the power in the middle of those that we can equip to stand up when people are being persecuted or harmed or step in or be willing to walk with somebody through that pain or bring them the resources they need to get out of it. The magic is in the middle of empowering the folks who are not dealing with that crisis in the moment, but that know what to do and know where to get the resources and can identify it when it comes out. Just like we, we try very hard in sex trafficking, right? They're trying to start talking about warning signs for people who are not in it, but you can see it. It's the same thing. If you can identify it and give people a vocabulary and give them the language to know what to use, if it's assault or battery, or they dealing with cyber mob, whatever it is, if we can empower them with the vocabulary and the knowledge to be able to identify it when they see it. Many people think they're going to know bullying when they see it. But they don't, they don't identify yeah. it within their own families. They don't identify it within their churches or their camps or their youth groups. And so many leaders themselves are bullies. Right. So yeah. let's talk about that. <laughs> well, for sure. And, and I was going to say what I think it really comes down to is a lot of it is the culture and that yes. it is the it's culture not, of so many of these schools that it's okay. Well, and it's, it's, but, but bullying is not a school issue. It's a cultural no, it's, issue. And, it's well, a, and I was going to say too, and it's just in our world. With political and personally media. and online and in your business. Um, I was actually, I'm doing a, um, a workshop this week on cyberbullying in our businesses and how do you deal with the attacks online and personally attacking you when they just have a difference of opinion, right? And then yeah. helping our kids, as we talked about before, very, very briefly, how do we teach our kids appropriate conflict resolution skills? And then when is conflict resolution appropriate? because it's never appropriate if you're dealing with a bully. If you're dealing with somebody who's in total joy is to put you down, call you out and cause you harm, they don't want a resolution to conflict. They're looking to cause and inflict pain. They're looking to cause a resolution. So yeah. when do you step into conflict resolution? And then as parents, when is it appropriate to even suggest it? Like me, I was suggesting conflict resolution and that wasn't the problem. Nobody wanted to resolve the conflict. They wanted to keep hurting my son. Well, and, and it's not like you're saying just in bullying either. It's in our whole world. Even if you just look on social media, there is no more civil discourse. Or and, in the workplace. Yeah. I so, do a lot of corporate training and corporate 100, um, Fortune 100 company training on workplace bullying itself. And how do you manage that within leaderships? And how do we effectively run teams when you have bullying that's taking place because workplace bullying can look different than childhood bullying. It all, mm -hmm. it all can just like in a family or like if people are being gaslit, there's so many different nuances to it that once you start to unpack bullying, it's like this octopus that just has its tentacles wrapped around every area of our lives that sometimes we're not even seeing where it is because we've become so accustomed to it. And because, yeah, that is so true. We've become so accustomed to it and it's, and really what we need more of, and this is what you're saying, is people to stand up, to be kind, to be good. Compassion. Compassion. Show compassion for someone else. And if you're moderating a group or you're leading a group or you're a leader, 
do you know when somebody's, how do you handle them? How do you handle keeping it moderated and appropriate without shutting down speech, right? How do you do that well, in a place yeah, that brings? That's what I was going to say is right now, the way we're learning is that you just censor what you don't like. Right. You and I were talking about that right before we came yeah. on the difference between hate speech and speech. I hate yeah. <laughs> right? that's the difference. So, yeah. So why don't you share with us? What are the tools? You know, you're, you're talking about if somebody's bullying conflict resolution right. is not going to work. Mm -mm. I mean, those are good skills to have, but they don't right. really care to come to a resolution. They don't want right. to be nice. So, well, so I can give a few here. It's yeah, sort of hard. That's sort of like a, like I do three day workshops on it, but I'll do my best in five minutes. So well, just give us a couple tips, you know, no, no pressure. But, um, <laughs> so let's say you're dealing with somebody who's a bully in your life. One of the worst things we can do is engage with them, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to engage. So many times we feel uh, hurt or broken. Like they must not clearly understand my point of view. Let me try again online. And it's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about, um, trying to correct a conversation when somebody has targeted you, when you have been targeted and to make sure we're all on the same, I just want to give a real quick high overview here. When I'm talking about bullying, the easiest way and in my classes, when I'm teaching people, I ask them, is the behavior aggressive? Is it repeated like a repetitive behavior it's happening over and over again? Or on the very first time, it's a very strong threat or probability of harm, right? And is there a power imbalance? So ARP is how we call it. Is it aggressive? Is it repetitive? Is there a power imbalance? We need to look at that first. So if we're not dealing with bullying, then we may be dealing with conflict. But in bullying, if you have somebody who's attacking you, for example, um, let's say somebody, you're a blogger and somebody's always coming after you and targeting you and trolling you and do not engage. No. You have power. Take your power back block them, delete them, they're gone. They don't need to be in your space. Empower yourself. Do not go down this path of, well, they clearly must not have understood what I said. I'm going to give them a whole dissertation as to why that's not right because they don't care. It's true. <laughs> it just is. I know we'd like to think that most of the world is kind and they're going to hear our side and it just isn't that way, guys. And especially when you're in a platform that so many of these social media pieces are looking to engage. Um, everybody's trying to justify their sides or defend why they're right. Mm -hmm. They're not listening to their views. And so if you do have a situation and, and you're dealing with bullying, don't engage, block them, don't tolerate that behavior. You are control of your space and you allow who you allow in. Now there's a lot more to that because it's, very many, many things. But if you, let's say you have somebody always document, keep cases, depending on your state laws, you may be able to go after them for harassment. You're going to want to make sure that if you have somebody who keeps coming at you, you're going to want to block them on your information, keep copies of everything and don't allow them into your space. That's going to be my easiest way to coming after you online. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you're a public figure, we have to have a different conversation on that because that's kind of the world that you stepped into. I'm sure you can imagine for the type of work I do. Um, <laughs> but so we'd have to talk separately, but I'm talking about private individuals and people that are just interacting and having conversations. And also take a look if you're spending a lot of time online, are you maybe dealing with some social media addiction yourself? 
Is there a reason that you're looking for validation from outside sources for your own value and peace? Why are we giving this bully this much power in your life to take away this rent and space in your mind? We need to reclaim that back. And that starts with empowering ourselves to set boundaries in our lives that are appropriate. So hopefully that's my uh, very quick rundown to identify the bullies in your life and steps you can take because the worst thing you can do is allow them to keep having rent or space or triggering you because once that bullying starts and once those attacks start, they can quickly escalate. They can affect your mental health, especially for our kids who have young minds that are developing during that time. It affects their mental health that they start to devalue themselves. They wonder why no one likes them. They start the comparativeness and it can start this that spiral and why it becomes so difficult and why so many families are dealing with bully side, which is when you have been bullied and you take your, take your life, they attempt suicide from bullying. It's because the majority of it's happening at night. These kids are going to bed with phones in their rooms or social media accounts in their rooms, and they're being told how horrible they are and why they shouldn't be in school the next day and they should just kill themselves and who would ever want to be with you. And they're going to bed with these thoughts on their mind and they're waking up in the morning and the first messages they're getting is how devalued and useless and worthless and how better the world would be without them. And when you sit on that time after time, you start to believe it which is why those of us who are older and have a little wisdom really try to go to bed, whether it's with prayers or affirmation or gratitude and waking up the next day with gratitude, not going to the news. And we all know where that place leads us. So teaching our kids the same empowerment to take back that knowledge. And then also we need to prepare our kids, uh, whether they're dealing with bullying or anything in life, they're going to deal with it. It's not, this is, yeah. you're going to deal with having to set boundaries in your life. Um, what, how, what are the tools? How do they protect their own mental health? And these are all things we teach in our health class for middle and high schoolers is everything from bullying and cyberbullying and online safety and social media addiction and how people with disabilities are easier targets and also consequences for the bullies out there, right? Like if you are a bully, 37% uh, chance higher of ending up with a criminal record by the time you're 25. And so for parents not allowing that, checking it, and also calling them out. You know, some of the, the best PSAs out there are don't drink and drive, you'll get a $25,000 fine, right? People need to know what can happen in these behaviors and what they'll be held accountable for and what they can be criminally liable for if they correct a mistake before it happens because they can be held criminally liable in many cases. So. Well, for sure. And I think often bullies are bullies just because they're at the opposite end of the spectrum with a low self-worth as well. Because Sometimes. They're trying, often they're, aren't they trying to build themselves up by putting other people so, down? Or, well, so that's actually one of the largest myths of bullying is what you just said. It is. Okay. And we're, they're finding all of the new statistics that are coming out. It's our narcissist that have very big egos and think they're up here. And um, they also use it to climb the social ladder. Our bullies tend to be when we really have gotten past the, the notion that we were all told, oh, they don't feel good about themselves, they have low okay. self-esteem. I'm not saying that doesn't ever occur, but the majority of statistics are showing that actually these folks are, they have very inflated egos. They have high social IQs to be able to read a room. They are able to identify and look at behaviors. They read a room and body language very quickly. 
they're manipulating of adults. They have the ability to tell the teacher how fantastic and wonderful and everything's okay and we're best friends in the next second. They stab the child in the back and throw their face in the, you know, literally like just throwing their face in the urinal and kicking them. And when the kid calls it out, he's like, well, I just talked to him. He says, you guys are, you know, this is obviously all you. It's that manipulative behavior behind the scenes that gaslights. And so these kids tend to um, sometimes the, the think about the mean girls, right? They don't feel well, bad about themselves or their low self-esteem. They feel just fine. They just want to take you down with them, right? They don't yeah. care. But I think still maybe a part of them kind of hates being like that. I would have to think. I would, oh, I would like to think, I hope, sometimes, I, I don't know. I'm like, maybe they're so jaded they can't heal that anymore. Right. And so how can we help them to understand that? Because yes. one of my most requested yes. classes I do is, so you think your child's a bully. And when I talk about that, helping parents teach their children empathy and the pain that they're causing to other people of the choices they're making in their lives and how it's affecting and what damage it's doing to themselves. So when they can really see, which is why we talk about the character traits of a bully and we identify it and put words and volumes to it. And so people can start to look in their own selves and go, Ooh, yeah. wow. I didn't realize <laughs> I was really doing that. Right. I didn't really realize that my behavior was doing that. Um, and how much damage it can cause sometimes, you know, we all go through those developmental ages as teens and tweens and our young adults, but our highest level of cyberbullying is not with our kids. It's with our young adults to 25. It's not even in our teens. Mm. So we have a lot of work to do in this area of helping equip. And I think it has happened because we really, I mean, if I hear one more person say, well, we have a zero tolerance policy. I'm like, well, how's that working? Because yeah. if you had zero tolerance, you'd have zero students. So let's talk about that. <laughs> or, Right. Yes. Or how many of us went to an assembly and they put up a poster and that was our conversation. Did, were we equipped with tools to heal? Were we equipped with crisis lines and how to put words to it and vocabulary and criminal actions? And how were we empowered to take back self-advocacy in this? And so many students yeah. are now, and whether they're in public school, private school, or homeschool, you want to equip future leaders to take a stand in the community, no matter where they're serving, if they're serving in a mission field or a church, or they're in the bot, like literally sitting in the boardroom, how do they do that to make sure that they're working in a level playing field? I love that because too many times we see anti-bullying campaigns, which basically go out and say, don't bully people, don't bully people. And then what, what's the focus <laughs> on? Don't bully. And then you get some of the kids bullying people that they think are bullying and <laughs> The whole focus is on revenge bullying. Oh my goodness. So yeah. then you end up with revenge bullying and calling out. But the, but the end of the day, I, there's no way to eliminate all of it. It's human sin, right? Yeah. It's human nature. It is really. human nature. And I, as I, I talk in lots of groups, secular groups and Christian groups, but I'm like, I don't think we could find a more bullied person than Jesus. So this has been around a really long time, right guys? So we, we are dealing with old stuff. What we are struggling with is why have we gone from a rate of tweens who had almost a zero chance of attempting suicide to skyrocketing rates since 2011 and the direct correlation between having them online and access yeah. to these different areas. I mean, we're giving our kids the equivalent of cars without a driver's license or any training. We're just like, here you go. Here's your phone, head on out there. Yeah. Right? 
without any real training. Do your kids know what to do when they're dealt with somebody, when you're giving them access? If somebody's coming after them for grooming or information, do they even know how, what the red flags are? Do they know how to protect themselves so that they're not put into some of these situations? And for many parents, they want to do well. They just, we need to equip our parents so they can equip our kids, bring them to the conversation. Our parents are the magic bullet. They're our front line of defense. They're the ones we need to bring to the conversation to fix this problem. And in my opinion, they're the ones that have been left out of the conversation of bullying. It's been the students in the school. They have never been invited into this conversation of real healing and what it looks like and warning signs. And then what to do if they see them. It's time we change that conversation. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also love how you put the focus on empowering themselves to help them because they're not a victim. They're meant to be. Yeah. We are not going to sit in victim. Uh, you guys will hear me. I will listen with your pain or will sit with you, but we are not sitting there forever. Right. This has happened and it's horrible and it is not your fault that it happens, but it's our responsibility to move forward. And so how do we do that? And everybody's on their own time when they do that, that that's sort of my approach. So for parents who are out there like, well, what is your approach to that? That's kind of my approach, right? Like it is not your fault. Something happened to you but it is our responsibility to move forward and to take that pain. And as you said, how do we create heroes out of that? Right. And so for our family, as you heard in my, my pre-interview that you and I do our first interview for your podcast, um, my son, when he works with my oldest son, when he works with children who have either attempted suicide or sitting in deep places or cutting or dealing with pain, you know, he, he talks very beautifully about how um, hurt people hurt people that healed people help others heal. And when we get to a place that we can work through this, you are so empowered to go move to the other end and create this hope and beauty and now help others. This is not wasted. This is awful and it is horrible and it is painful and it is devastating on many levels, but we don't need to stay here and we can take control and take one step, even if it's just a millimeter at a time we can start moving in that direction for a new place. Absolutely. And that just, you know, again, it fits in with the whole hero's journey. None of the struggles that we meet on our journey of life are there to crush us. They might, but the human spirit is so resilient and there is always hope. And that's why it's so important for each one of us to help other people see that there's hope when they're feeling that crushing feeling, because those obstacles are there to help us learn, to become better, to know who we are, to share and help and serve other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. We got to take it and move it forward because it's not meant to break us. It's not meant to keep us stuck. You know, I mean, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But yeah, and yeah, and that's well, and so that's actually one thing. So many people say that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, but for many people, they get stuck in that and they do lose their lives. And that's what I was gonna say. So let's stop it from killing so many of us because if they can get a little bit of hope, they can come out of the other side so much stronger and do so much good in this world because Mm -hmm. really every human being is valuable and every human being has something to give to other people around them. But we forget that. And we especially forget it in ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It is. So. it is. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your amazing story and sharing hope. 
because that is what it's all about hope but then we can also get tools that yes. actually move us forward and help us become better so if you want to let us know how do we reach out to you and find out about your programs let us know I would love that. You guys can always find me at um, our company is bulliedbrokenredeemed.com. Uh, just find us online. We're there. It has all of my workshops, my talks. I just launched a brand new middle and high school class. So if anything that I've talked about today resonates with you parents out there and you're like, oh, this might be something we should think about. I have a um, 16 lesson class. It's all self-paced. It's all for parents out there. It is all video taught and you have to do nothing or buy new curriculum. So you're welcome because I hate that. <laughs> I sign up and then I've got to teach it or learn it. And it's all taught in a way that they learn a lesson. There's an activity they get to do with it and then discussion questions to help them enrich it. And we're teaching it all over the world now at co-ops and groups and schools and leadership groups. So if you're running any, um, I'd love to hear from you guys. If you are a leader in a community with kids, I'd love to talk to you about ways we can bring these tools to your group so that your kids can be effective leaders. And so it's all up there on our stuff. And I'd, I'd love to connect with you guys on it because I am on a mission to help families change these, these directions and change the course of anger and bullying and online hate and just this direction that we make a difference and our parents have so much power. Yeah, I love that idea. And also I would have to say, don't just give it to your kids though, right? Because we want the parents in the conversation too. Yeah, yeah. so actually guys, I have it, yeah. my, I will tell you, I set it up like I like to teach, okay? So you watch a lesson like eight minutes. Together. Because <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't take longer. Don't give me a 45 minute class. Like I can't. So it's like eight minutes and then there's an activity that they do. And all of our activities are actually built. I work with therapists and psychologists and teams. We actually showcase at the world case for Christian psychologists and psychiatrists since 2019. And we're booked for a few years. We always sell out fast. Um, we bring these resources so that your kids are learning tools along the way and empowering just like our myths of bullying when we talk about that and they they break down for example a myth they learn about a myth and then they actually have to write a psa a public service announcement breaking down why that wasn't and re-educating the community they might be doing director clips or we might be doing all kinds of things that we do um and then we have discussion questions to just really enrich and then our last challenge at our, our 16th lesson when they get through it um, is actually on social media addiction and getting your family to really track how the whole family is paying attention and how much time are we spending on these different places. And it's not just in your phone. Is it coming in through YouTube's on your TV? Are you connecting in lessons? Like really paying attention to where we're giving our power away in some of these places. So we do oh, that too. So important. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it's kind of exciting. We're excited about the launch. We're going to be doing four classes this year. And this is my first, my next one is going to be fourth grade as a new middle school. <laughs> so, well, that, <laughs> it sounds fantastic and so neat is so thank you so much for taking out time to be with us today to share your important message. So appreciate it. And if any of the listeners feel like that this is something that you need in your family, Go ahead and check it out at, it was bulliedbrokenredeemed.com. There you go. Just on my website if that's helpful. Wait, that's it, one more time because I think I forgot I missed the first ah, So it's at bulliedbrokenredeemed.com. Okay. Yeah. Bullybrokenredeemed. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure we could hear that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for listening to the Building Heroes podcast. 
Can you help more people join the Building Heroes movement by sharing this podcast? More people can find it when you subscribe to the show, rate it, and leave a review. For more help on Building Heroes in your home, get the free Building Heroes resources at www.buildingheroesacademy.com.